You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. ICANN warns of DNS hijacking and urges DNSSEC adoption. Security firm Sierran is a particularly active DNS hijacker. A Borontok ransomware outbreak infests Linux servers, but Windows users might be at risk as well. A request for whitelisting in the Firefox certificate store arouses controversy. Technology review raises questions about blockchain security. Bots keep people from getting consular appointments, and people don't like that and telling minotaurs from unicorns. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, February 25th, 2019. The Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, that's ICANN, warned Friday that the domain name system, DNS, is dangerously vulnerable and urges swift and widespread adoption of DNSSEC, Domain Name System Security Extensions. ICANN explains DNS hijacking as an attack in which unauthorized changes to the delegation structure of domain names are made, replacing the addresses of intended servers with addresses of machines controlled by the attackers. While DNSSEC is, as ICANN is careful to point out, no panacea, deploying it would thwart this kind of attack. But, as ICANN CTO David Conrad told AFP, there's no single tool that will defeat what he characterized as an assault on the Internet's infrastructure as such. Both the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and Britain's National Cybersecurity Center warned last month of a surge in DNS hijacking, so ICANN is far from alone in expressing concerns. Some of the DNS hijacking of the last few months appears to be state-directed. Security Week quotes security firm FireEye as attributing a significant fraction of such activity to Iran, with Tehran taking a particular interest in Middle Eastern website registrars and ISPs. The typical immediate goal of such attacks appears to be credential theft. Security Week heard a similar assessment from security firm CrowdStrike. Bleeping Computers online forum is discussing an outbreak of BorontoK ransomware, Details are sparse, and analysts are, as of this writing, still looking for samples, but the infestation is known to have appeared on Linux-based servers. Windows users may also be susceptible. The ransom demands are running at about $75,000, payable in Bitcoin, although there are indications that the hoods are open to negotiation. The words Vietnamese hacker appear in the payment site's source code, But this, like the .uk top-level domain used, means very little, so it would be unwise to jump to any attribution. Bleeping Computer says it's reached out to the extortionists to find out what they're up to and will share whatever they learn. There are already some suggestions in circulation on other sites about how to get rid of Borontok infection, 
but regard them with caution and consult a security expert before jumping to use the techniques. Better to prepare for recovery should you sustain this or any other form of ransomware attack by regular secure backup. UAE-based security firm Dark Matter has asked Mozilla to whitelist Dark Matter certificates into Firefox's certificate store. The request, as ZDNet points out, is controversial. On one hand, Dark Matter is known as a vendor of surveillance tools, and so the Electronic Frontier Foundation and others warn against giving the company what could amount to an ability to intercept traffic without triggering errors in some Linux systems. As the EFF puts it on their blog, quote, Dark Matter has a business interest in subverting encryption and would be able to potentially decrypt any HTTPS traffic they intercepted, unquote. On the other hand, as ZDNet observes, Dark Matter does seem to have a clean record as a certificate authority, and therefore, the company asks, why should we be treated differently from any other CA? MIT Technology Review reports that blockchains can in fact be hacked, The theoretical possibility wasn't unforeseen, it's the long-discussed 51% attack, in which an actor gains control of a majority of a network's mining power and forks the blockchain to defraud other users. The 51% attack, as we've heard it discussed by various blockchain experts, was a known issue, as the help desk would put it, but at least in the early days of blockchain adoption had usually been mentioned as a kind of marginal case, practically too difficult to amount to a realistic threat but that may have been whistling in the dark. Since the latter part of 2018, Verge, Monocoin, Bitcoin Gold, Vertcoin, and Ethereum Classic have sustained 51% attacks, facilitated by hash rate black markets, where attackers can rent computing power. Smaller cryptocurrencies proved more susceptible. Security flaws in ancillary systems, notably smart contracts, have also been exploited. None of this should be taken to mean that the blockchain is a fraud or fundamentally flawed, but rather that it's a technology with its distinctive strengths and weaknesses. The story should serve as a reminder that cybersecurity, like war, is waged against a thinking human adversary who sees, reacts, and will find any vulnerability they can. Cryptocurrencies, and these are still the most widely used blockchain applications, of course continue to attract broad interest and support. The cyber attacks on Malta's Bank of Valletta, disclosed on February 13th, prompts the Bitcoinist to see in the incident proof of the need for decentralized and stable alternatives to traditional banks and the fiat currencies they deal in. TASS is authorized to disclose that Russia's embassy in Vienna has sustained cyber attacks evidently aimed at disrupting consular services. Bots booked appointments, which inevitably became no-shows, Bots being bots and not natural persons, and so a bot couldn't show up at the cashier's window even if the bot wanted to. This, of course, prevented actual natural human beings from getting appointments, actual natural human beings being actual natural human beings. They got mad when they couldn't get in to do their business. The automated requests originated from IP addresses in Iraq, Thailand, Indonesia, and a few other countries, but that means little for attribution. The embassy says it's purged the bots and restored consular services to normal. And finally, how can you tell a unicorn from a minotaur? And no, this isn't anything to do with fantastic beasts. It's commerce, kids, so you know the difference won't be in, say, niceness or number of horns. 
No, a unicorn is a company valued at $1 billion, but a minotaur, as they're now saying in Silicon Valley, is a company that's actually attracted $1 billion in venture capital. If you're a Shark Tank watcher, here's one way to frame the distinction. A unicorn's valuation is what the sharks use to figure out if they're getting a good deal on the proffered investment. A minotaur's value is the actual amount Mr. Wonderful has decided to pony up. Though no, this isn't about fantastic beasts, bow truckles, snifflers, or otherwise. It's commerce. But still, Newt's commander, call your office. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Rick Howard. He's the chief security officer at Palo Alto Networks. He also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intel team. Rick, uh, great to have you back. Um, At Palo Alto Networks, you recently made some important decisions as to how you were going to choose to run major infrastructure there. Take us through uh, what you chose and, and why you did it. Palo Alto Networks announced that we would be delivering our security services from the Google Cloud. Hmm. Uh, we have decided that instead of building our own infrastructure and data centers to support our customers in the future, we will use the Google, Google Cloud to do it. I can't even say that. Uh, it, it's a tongue twister. It's a, it's a hard word to say, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that a security vendor like us had gone through the same evaluation and thinking process that every other type of organization has gone through or is going through about cloud uh, deployments. 
All right. Well, take us through what made you decide that you didn't want to build out your own infrastructure. Yeah, so let me set the stage a little bit. So besides the hardware firewalls that our customers deploy in their physical environments and the software firewalls that they deploy to protect their Amazon, Google, and Microsoft cloud environments and the software firewalls that they deploy in their data center virtual environments, we also have a complete set of intrusion kill chain security tools that are delivered to those hardware and software firewalls from our own maintained and operated cloud environment. That's a lot of stuff I just said there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we store the data in the cloud and process the data looking for bad guys in the cloud. Once we find them, we send enforcement decisions to our customers' firewalls and endpoints, both hardware and software. Right. Now, most people think of us as, hard, as a hardware company, which we are. But with all that virtual software running in the cloud, we consider ourselves to be a SaaS company. Okay. All right, so now not three years ago, we were busy building our own data centers in multiple locations around the world so that we could better service our customers in those localized regions. And what we discovered was we couldn't build them fast enough. We could just get one operational in some other country. We want their very own also. And to build them right took time and resources, and they are expensive to maintain. And we also discovered that this meat and potatoes effort, this building and maintaining data centers, does not scale, and it distracted us from building better security products. You know, we consider ourselves to be a security provider, not an infrastructure provider. And then it dawned on us, like it has dawned on everybody else, we don't have to be an infrastructure provider. There are at least three infrastructure companies, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon, who sell infrastructure, and they are really good at it. In fact, they are so good, they are light years ahead of the rest of us who are not infrastructure companies and who are stumbling along trying to do it the way they do it. Right? It just made sense uh, for us to choose uh, one of those to deliver our services from. So take me through that decision-making process. Like you said, there, there are choices out there. What, what made you decide and, and settle on Google? Well, for lots of technical and financial reasons that uh, I don't want to bore the listeners on here, okay, it made sense for us to use Google as our cloud provider for service delivery. Suffice it to say that each of these big three have strengths and weaknesses for cloud services. For what we were trying to do at Palo Alto Networks, it made sense to go with Google. That does not mean that Google is the right choice for everybody. The bottom line here is that even security vendors go through the same thought process about cloud deployments that every other kind of organization goes through. The network defender community has been saying for at least five years now that the cloud is inevitable. It is just a matter of time. Some are moving to the cloud faster than others. We we decided to go now. Take me through the process of establishing in your own mind your ability to trust an outside vendor with these things that are obviously very important for you. I mean, security is the name of the game here. So I suppose there's a whole matter of reassurances, uh, it's sort of a trust and trust but verify thing, perhaps? Well, exactly. And uh, I think some of the hesitation from the community is that we're not sure how secure those environments are, right? But we are able to put our own security product into all of those big cloud providers, all right? So it's virtual for sure, but it operates the same way that a hardware platform does back behind your perimeter and in your data centers. So we have no concerns that it's somehow less secure because we're in a cloud environment than it is uh, in back in your perimeter. We are using the same security controls in all of those locations. So that was not a big consideration for us. Hmm. All right, Rick Howard, thanks for the information. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. And that's the CyberWire. 
for links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.